for those of you here watching, listening um, online, if you know somebody that is a Marine or a former Marine, today is the Marine Corps birthday. And from one Marine to another, happy uh, birthday. Um, uh, this is a, if, if you know about the Marines and, and they, we hold our traditions uh, pretty high and we value them and, and so um, again, I, I know what that means for all you former uh, or devil dogs out there. And again, thank you for serving. Thank you for what you've done. Um, and again, happy birthday. Tomorrow is Veterans Day. And again, from one veteran to another, from someone that served in combat, um, happy Veterans Day. And I'm also appreciative for all you've done. Um, and this, that tomorrow is a day dedicated to you. So there's a lot of restaurants out there, a lot of restaurants that are offering free meals. So definitely take advantage of that. Uh, I know I definitely will have a few. I have, have a place for breakfast, lunch, and dinner, so. <laughs> <laughs> um, good thing I'm off tomorrow, so. All right, before I begin this chapter, um, I want to share with you a story I once heard that really resonated with me as a former Marine. Um, and the story goes like this. Three recruiters were to address high school seniors. Each recruiter represented a branch of the military, the Army, the Navy, and the Marine Corps. And uh, they were to have 15 minutes to address the kids. The Army and Navy recruiters got carried away, and they took a long time, more than what they were supposed to have, more than those 15 minutes. So when it came time for the Marine to speak, he only had two minutes. He walked up and stood silently for a full 60 seconds, half of his time. Then he said, I doubt whether there are two or three of you in this room who would even stand a chance in the Marine Corps. But I want to, but I want to see those two or three immediately in the dining room hall when we're dismissed. He turned smartly and sat down. When he arrived in the dining hall, there was a crowd of students interested in the Marines. The recruiter knew that commitment cannot take place without recognizing the potential for difficulty. Well, that didn't become clear to me. That, it, really, it wasn't really until I stepped on to those yellow, famous yellow footprints at MCRD San Diego that I realized that my new commitment to the core wasn't going to, be, going, going to be easy. As Christians, Jesus also called us for big commitments. From the least of his followers to the, the most of his followers, but like, you know, whether you're a new follower or have been following him your entire life, he called for big commitments. And that's what we're going to be seeing here in this chapter. Luke 8 will illustrate some of those big commitments and um, what some of those big commitments are. And they're going to challenge you to ask yourself where your commitments are. 
Now, in this morning's passage, Jesus will be using several examples to teach his disciples that faith comes through receiving the word of God into an understanding heart. However, the lesson for us will be this. If we truly desire to follow the Lord, then we must make a sincere commitment to hear and obey what God teaches in his word. Despite of how difficult or challenging it's, it'll get. So I titled this morning's message, A Seed and a Light, The Seed and Light of God's Word. Because those are the main things that we're, themes that we're going to be seeing here. And, um, and I figured it was appropriate here for, for what we're going to be studying. So before I get into God's word, or before we read God's word, let's ask the Lord to speak to us this morning. Lord, Heavenly Father, um, it is another great and amazing um, day you've made. And we are so thankful that you brought us here, um, that we are able to enjoy it, that we're all able to physically sit here and read your word, to hear it. Lord, I pray for those who are dealing with a lot of things this morning, Lord, a lot of issues and problems, that, that you will also minister to them, that you will also speak mightily to them with what they're about to read, with the message that's about to be preached, Lord. Fill us, fill this room with your spirit. Soften our hearts, Lord. Let us receive your word with thanksgiving, with praise. Lord, we, we ask that you do a mighty work here this morning. We love you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, we're beginning a new chapter again here, Luke chapter 8. Luke chapter 8. Luke chapter 8, verse 1. And the word of God says, Afterward, he was traveling from one town and village to another, preaching and telling the good news of the kingdom of God. The twelve were with him, and also some of the women who had been healed of evil spirits and sicknesses. Mary, called Magdalene, seven demons have, had come out of her. Joanna, the wife of Chusa, Herod's steward, Susanna, and many others who were supporting them from their possessions. As a large crowd was gathering and people were coming to Jesus from every town, he said in a parable, a sower went out to sow his seed. As he sowed, some of the seed fell along the path. It was trampled on, and the birds of the sky devoured it. Other seed fell on the rock. When it grew, it withered away since it lacked moisture. Other seed fell among thorns. The thorns grew up with it and choked it. Still other seed fell on good ground. When it grew up, it produced fruit, a hundred times what was sown. As he said this, he called out, let anyone who has ears to hear listen. Then his disciples asked him, what does this parable mean? So he said, the secrets of the kingdom of God have been given for you to know, but to the rest it is in parables, 
so that looking they may not see and hearing they may not understand. And I'll stop there for now. Before we get into the main course, the main text of this morning, Luke begins here by giving sort of a shout out to some of the women who were serving, who had been serving with, with him, or with the disciples and with Jesus. Luke informs us how Jesus continued. He begins by first telling us that Jesus continued to fulfill the purpose of his ministry by preaching and sharing the good news of God's kingdom throughout the towns and villages. More than likely, um, some have said that he's still preaching around the region of Galilee. To assist them, he had with them the 12, the 12 men that he had selected as his closest disciples. We have to remember again that all his followers were known as disciples, but his closest were the 12, the 12 disciples. Later on, they're, they're called apostles, but he had the 12 that were in his inner circle. Now, Luke also points out that it just wasn't a bunch of guys who were helping. It, was just, it wasn't just a group of guys traveling together from town to town. It wasn't a, you know, uh, a frat party, so to, so to speak. It says that there were also some women who had the gratitude of being healed by Jesus, not only accompanied them, but also financially supported them. Now, although this would have been unusual, it goes to show that our Lord had a different attitude towards women than the religious leaders and the teachers of the day. Among many others, there were three that were specifically named, Mary Magdalene, Joanna, and Susanna. Now, the Bible doesn't, this is the only time the Bible mentions Susanna, so nothing really is known about her. Um, but here's what we do know about Mary Magdalene and Joanna. First of all, considering what it says about them, what Luke writes, just a brief uh, background about them, it would just would have been amazing to find Mary with her dark past, with all the stuff that she was involved with, with the demons that she once had, and Joanna, an upper-class lady of the court. You know, think, you know, someone who was just, you know, kind of like a, a princess, I don't know, just someone high class. Basically working together, spiritually united and working together side by side for a common cause. Also, secondly, in Luke chapter 24, verse 10, we're told that both of them, Mary Magdalene and Joanna, were among the first to witness Jesus' resurrection. They were there when, when uh, they went to the tomb and Jesus wasn't there. Now this leads me here to, to, to say this. For all you women
that follow the Lord, who serve him by serving others and love him with all your heart, mind, and strength and soul. Personally, I just want to say thank you. Thank you to all the women who are here, have been coming, who are praying, who are um, uh, just are, are here and, and want to serve and have that heart of, of just praying for, for this church. I'll tell you this, this church and its leaders will always appreciate all the help that you offer, all the help that you give, whether it's your time, whether it's your energy, or whether it's your finances. All your help is appreciated, and it's, it's not overlooked. You know, uh, again, I, I really hope that as we grow as a church that, you know, again, the women here will feel like this is a place where they can serve, where they can, and they won't be ignored. They won't be neglected. I want, you know, I want, I, will, I always want to have that heart of appreciation. I want leaders to, it's leader, our church's leaders to have that heart of appreciation as well. Um, but again, thank you for all you've done and all you, um, all you are doing. Again, many of us men, a lot of the guys here also, I know me for sure, wouldn't be here without the support of our wives, the support of you who are praying for us. Um, you guys, again, you ladies, are an instrumental, uh, are instrumental here in this church. Um, and again, thank you. Now, as the passage moves on, or as we move on in this passage, we see that after mentioning what Jesus was doing and who he was with, Luke then tells us about a parable Jesus told when a large crowd had gathered. Now, for those of you who may not know, a parable is a story or a saying that illustrates a truth using comparison, hyperbole, or a simile. It can be a model, an analogy, or an example. Now, this particular example is known as the parable of a sower. And it's about a person who scattered seed in four types of soil and how that soil received that seed. We're told that the seed that fell along the path, the, hard, the hardened path, was trampled on and devoured by birds. The seed that fell among the rocks, or the, field of the seed that fell on rocks, withered away because it lacked moisture. The seed that fell among thorns couldn't grow because the thorns had choked it out. The seed that fell on good ground, however, produced fruit 100 times than it was sown. The Lord then ended the parable with the words, let anyone who has ears to hear listen. By saying that, what he was in other words, what he was saying was he was challenging those who heard carefully, uh, who heard carefully to consider the story and its hidden meaning 
and practical implications. Now, it, it appears that the disciples didn't make any effort to just take the time to chew on that parable, to, to meditate on it, to consider it, maybe to, to talk about it amongst themselves. So they asked him, what does this parable mean? And maybe you guys, some of you here, or maybe again watching, listening, are asking the same thing. What does this parable mean? But before he explains it, he quotes Isaiah 6-9 to explain that his purpose for using parables was to reveal to them, to the disciples, his followers, the secrets of the kingdom of God. However, for unbelievers, those who refused to follow him, those who refused, who didn't love him, those who didn't want anything to do with him, the secrets of the parables would be hidden because of their hard hearts. They'd look and not see the true meaning of the story. They'll hear it, but won't be able to understand it so that it leads to change. The point is this. If you don't understand the key to the parable, you won't understand it at all. Now, we have to put ourselves, let's try to put ourselves in, in the feet and in the shoes and the sandals of the audience that were listening to this parable. We can imagine what different people in that audience might have thought when he taught this parable. The farmer might have, taught, might have thought, he's telling me that I have to be more careful in the way I cast my seed. I guess I wa wasted an awful lot. The politician thought, he's telling me that I need to begin a farm education program to help farmers more efficiently cast their seed. This will be a big boost in my re-election campaign. The newspaper reporter might have thought, He's telling me there's a big story here about a bird problem and how it affects the farming community. That's a great idea for a series in a newspaper. The salesman thought, might have thought, he's encouraging me in my fertilizer sales. Why I could help the farmer more than he knows if he only used my product. But here's the thing, none of them could understand the spiritual meaning until Jesus explained the key to them. The seed is the word of God. If you miss the key, you miss the entire parable. If you think the seed represents money, you miss the parable. If you think the seed represents love, you miss the parable. If you can only understand it, if you, you can only understand it by understanding the key. The seed is the word of God. So in the next part of our passage, we see him explain the meaning of the parable. So let's read that now. Luke chapter 8, verse 11. 
Again, these are the words of Jesus. This is the meaning of the parable. The seed is the word of God. The seed along the path are those who have heard and have, uh, and have, and then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. And the seed on the rock are those who, when they hear, receive the word with joy, having no root. These believe for a while and fall away in, in a time of testing. As for the seed that fell among thorns, these are the ones who, when they have heard, go on their way and are choked with worries, riches, and pleasures of life and produce no mature fruit. But the seed on good ground, these are the ones who, who having heard the word with an honest and good heart, hold on to it and by enduring produce fruit. As I mentioned earlier, right away, just to avoid any confusion, any ambiguity, any misinterpretation, Jesus clearly states in verse 11 that the seed is the word of God. Now, this includes everything written in the Old Testament and everything that he's teaching now, all his words, all his teachings. And later, once it's, once, well, later on, it's Paul's words, uh, is the letters that he wrote, um, and all the other letters that we have here in the New Testament. But it's God's word. It's everything found in the Bible. Now, although it's not specifically stated, or it's not specifically said, the soil represents the heart of a person. Now, all of us, if we remember our science class, we learned that the seed without the soil is fruitless. And the soil without the seed is almost useless. However, if it's prepared properly, seed planted in good soil will eventually produce fruit. The preacher, the evangelist, the children's ministry worker, the, the, all the volunteers that are doing the Good News Club at the elementary schools, um, Yes, even you who are sharing the gospel at work with either your words, your actions, everyone who shares the gospel is a sower. Spurgeon said that they don't make his seed. It's given to him by his divine master. No man could create the smallest grain that ever grew upon the earth much less a celestial seed of eternal life. And again, what he was saying was, this isn't your seed. This is God's seed. He's given it to you, and you're just passing it around. You're sowing it. So now that we know who the soil is, who the sower is, and who the sower is, Jesus then describes four different kinds of hearts that the word falls into. He begins by explaining the seed that fell along the path. 
Now the problem with this first type of soil or, or heart was its hardness. It, that's basically what you have is a hard dirt road that there was no depth, there was no, there was just, it was just fine dirt that, was, that people walked on all the time. Now, when that seed was scattered there, it was left vulnerable to the influence, to the influences of, and deceptions of Satan. That's what he meant by, it was just trampled on by, by man and the birds or that Satan would, would come and, and devour it. This again is the hard heart. The heart that hears the word and it just uh, it goes away. There's no softness. There's, it just disappears. There's no, there's nothing there. And next, he tells us about the sea on good rock or on rock on the rock. The problem with this second type of soil or heart is that these people liked what they heard. They liked what they heard in the word. In, in, in what it says here in the Bible. And they responded for a time. They said, yeah, this is, that's great. I'm going to come to church and I'm going to read my Bible and um, I'm going to memorize a few verses or whatnot. However, their faith was shallow. And there was no depth to the root. There wasn't any deep soil. There was, the root didn't, didn't go deep or, or far enough to really catch any nourishment. So the, and so the trials and the temptations that followed would cause them to wither. Now, again, this describes those who like what the Bible says and they say, hey, yeah, Jesus is a great teacher and, and you know, I, I, think I'm gonna, I think I'm gonna start following him I think I'm going to start going to church. I think I'm going to, you know, just start really, you know, living by what the Bible says. But because there's no depth, there's no deep, good soil, it, it doesn't grow. It doesn't. And, and when hard times come, when temptations come, they quickly forget about what they've been reading, what they've been hearing and they fall away. He then tells us about the seed that fell among thorns. This third type of soil describes a fertile heart that absorbs the word, but didn't have enough room to grow and produce mature fruit. Now why? Because it was mixed in that seed in that good soil was mixed in with the seed of the thorns. And as they both grew, the weeds that began to grow began to choke out the good word. Began to, when the weeds that come from the worries, riches, and pleasures of life came, it choked it out. The person with a crowded heart comes closest to salvation 
but still does not bring forth the fruit to perfection. So close. So close. They're, they're almost there. There's some depth there. But things start to get really bad. And they're like, yeah, you know what? I need to take care of this first. Or things got, get really good. And they say, well, you know what? Maybe after I'm done with this, you know, with this career or I, you know, I just got, you know, I just made a bunch of money and, and maybe after a while, after I'm done having fun, I'll start going to church again. Um, again, so close, but yet so far, um, they fall away because, again, all those, all the things of life um, choke out all that good stuff that they heard. The only heart producing any kind of good fruit was from the seed that fell on good ground. The Lord explained that this good ground represented true believers whose hearts were, it says they're honest and good. These true believers, these people that received the word with a soft heart, not only received the word, but allowed it to mold their lives. They were teachable and obedient, developing true Christian character and producing fruit for God. Now, Yeah, no, now I want to just continue reading here before I explain a little bit more. Verse 16. Verse 16, Luke chapter 8, verse 16. says, No one, after lighting a lamp, covers it with a basket or puts it under a bed, but puts it on a lampstand so that those who come in may see its light. For nothing is concealed that won't be revealed and nothing hidden that won't be made known and brought to light. Therefore, take care of how you listen, for whoever has more will be given to him. And whoever does not have even what he thinks he has will be taken from him. Now, I I wanted to read that first before I continued, because although it seems that the two aren't related, they actually are. Again, at first glance, it seems there isn't much connection between verses 16 through 19 and what he had just said, what he had just explained about the parables. But actually, there is a continuous flow of thought. In the verses, in these verses we just read, verses 16 through 19, the Savior is still emphasizing the importance of what his disciples do with his teachings. So he likens himself to a man lighting a lamp. A lamp that isn't meant to be covered with a basket or put under a bed, but rather a lamp that is meant to be put on a lampstand for all to see its light. What he was implying here was that his teaching is a light that must be allowed to shine so that sinners 
may be saved. Verse 17 seems to suggest that if we allow the message, that light to be concealed because we're just too lazy or too busy to share it, to let it shine, our neglect and failure will be revealed. Now, if you're a believer who knows the truth of God, you know the gospel, you understand it, you understand what it means, you understand the implications, you you know what it, it, it's done for you. You've seen it. You've seen how it's changed lives. You know the truth of God. You have a solemn responsibility to spread that truth in whatever way God gives you the opportunity. Just as if someone who has the cure for cancer has the moral responsibility to spread the cure. So if you're the kind of Christian, if you're the kind of believer who has been wondering or, or contemplating or you have been trying to hide your faith inside a closet, you need to know this. God didn't light your lamp so that it will be concealed. He lit it to help those who, in, who are in the dark to see. Let me repeat that. God didn't light your lamp so that it will be concealed. He lit it to help those who are in the dark to see. The Lord said this in Matthew chapter 5, verse 14. You are the light of the world. And then later on in verse 16, he said, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in, in, in heaven. As a Christian, as a believer, you have an obligation, a responsibility to let that light shine. There's no point in, in having that light and, as it says here, putting it under a basket or under a bed or, or putting it away. I, I use the example of putting it inside a closet. What good is it going to do there? None at all. Again, the point is this. No matter how well you try to hide it, eventually the light of God's truth will be revealed. The light that he's given you will be revealed. No matter how long you try to keep it from others, it'll be known and brought to light. Someone will eventually find out, oh, you're a Christian? Yeah, well, but, uh, you know, not right now, or you know, I'm not, you know, I'm not walking right now, or, you know. And then you'll be questioned about what you think about this and that. I, and again, I'm speaking from personal experience. I know what that's like. It's not a good feeling, you know, trying to hide who you really are, that light, and then it's exposed, it comes out. You know, it's, it's difficult. It's a difficult conversation to have. It'll be known. It'll, again, if, I were, if, if it were me, if I had to do it all over again, I just would put it out there. I wouldn't even try to hide it. I'd put it out there, yeah, I'm a Christian, I'm a believer, but I'm not doing good. 
or you know, even if you are doing good and you have, <laughs> if you are on fire for the Lord and, and you're just like, man, I, I love the Lord and I love what it says in the Bible, I want to share it, I just don't want to offend anybody. And so I'm going to try to keep it to myself. I don't want to cause problems at work. I don't want to cause problems at school. You don't, first of all, you don't have to cause problems. You know, it doesn't mean that's going to cause problems. There are ways, manners in which you can, again, share the message to be the light without having to get yourself into any kind of problems. But the gospel, the message of Jesus Christ is meant to be offensive. People are going to get offended. You tell someone that they're a sinner, that God says that everyone has sinned and fallen short of the, glor- of the glory of God, they're going to say, not that bad. You're calling me a sinner? Are you judging me? People are going to get offended. They're not going to like it. So again, if you know not, they're not going to like that. People aren't going to like it. You know, there are ways to say it so that you know. But no matter how, again, uh, no matter how you put it, it's people aren't going to like it. But share it. Share it. Um, share the word. Share the gospel. People need to hear it. Now, Jesus says this in verse 18. Well, he adds this. Therefore, we all must take care how we listen to God's word. And what does he mean by that? Why do we need to be careful about how we listen to God's word? Well, here's the answer. Once it's understood, we'll be held accountable accountable for what we do with the truth we know. You'll be held accountable for the truth that you understand, that you know. Let me give you an example. If you understand, again, why Jesus Christ came, died, and rose from the grave, you'll be judged for what you did with that truth that he gave you. Again, that's... (coughs) That's a seed that he gave to you to sow. And he's going to hold you accountable for what you did with that, with that knowledge, with that gift that he gave you. Did you receive it? Did you receive that seed and did you sow it? Or did you just hide it away? Did you conceal it? Did you say, oh, no, Lord, I know that truth, but um, I'm going to keep it to myself. I'm not going to tell anyone about it. If you're faithful in becoming sowers of that truth, it says more will be given to you. And what this means is that God will continue to reveal new and deeper truth, truth to you That'll help you not only grow as a believer, but also give you a greater knowledge of him. If, on the other hand, you choose to ignore the truth you've been given by not sowing it, then what you think you have will be taken away from you. 
Simply put, what you don't use, you'll lose. A good example of this were the Pharisees and also the church at Laodicea. In Revelation chapter 3, verse 17, the Laodiceans said, to the, said of themselves, we're rich, we're wealthy, we don't need anything. But what they didn't know was that they were actually wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. So it's knowing, but not knowing, like, it's believing that you have something when, again, you really don't have anything. Now, I don't know about you again, but I want to be given more. I want to be, I want to have more. It may sound like I'm being greedy, but when it comes to the truth, when it comes to God's light, when it comes to what he has to offer, I want more. And you ought to want more too. You shouldn't just be satisfied with what you have now. Yes, uh, in a way, yes, be happy, be satisfied, be thankful. But you should always be looking for more. Do you want to grow as a Christian? Do you want to grow as a believer? And share. Sow the seed. Study the, study the Bible. S- you know, keep praying. Keep serving. Continue to search. Continue to dig. Be open to what the Spirit wants to speak to or show you, to tell you. So many great truths here that have yet to be discovered, yet to be revealed. And I think, again, we, when we get to heaven, Lord's, God's going to tell us, I mean, you guys had understood it, but there was still so much more that you could have understood. And who knows? You may be the next person to, to hear what the Lord has to say in his word and share a message that comes from it and a, re- a new revival will begin. May, well, where you'll just, many, many people, thousands of people will come to know the Lord. And I'll tell you what, that what a blessing that that'll be for you. And not only that, not only will it be a blessing to you, but it's also going to bless others. The kingdom of God will be growing. And that's what the Lord wants. He just wants to us to, to he wants the kingdom to grow. He wants more people to be there. He doesn't want anyone to perish but have everlasting life. Do you have that heart? Do you have that heart to want to grow, to want to share, to want to, to have more? And again, don't ignore what he's given you and become sowers of the word. Spread the message. Don't be like the Pharisees or like the church of Laodicea. Now, 
in this last section we're about to read, Jesus uses a final situation to share how he personally views those who not only listen to him, but also obey. So let's go back again and read these three verses. Luke chapter 8, verse 19. Then his mother and brothers came to him, but they could not meet with him because of the crowd. He was told, your mother and your brothers are standing outside wanting to see you. But he replied to them, my mother and my brothers are those who hear and do the word of God. What we see here is Jesus using an actual real situation that happened to inform his disciples what he thinks of those who have committed themselves to apply what they hear him teach. Sometime while he was traveling in the area, Luke writes that our Lord's mother and his half-brothers came to see him but weren't able to reach him, weren't able to meet with him because of large crowds. I'm imagining again a stadium-sized crowd, and here you have a group of people that were trying to reach their, trying to reach Jesus, and they just couldn't get past the crowd. Now, when Jesus was told about it, his only reply was, my mother and my brothers are those who hear and do the word of God. Now, just from the, from the surface, that looks kind of cold. That looks kind of messed up. Saying that about your mom and your half-brothers. Now, we have to know, but, but this is the thing. We shouldn't take this to mean that in no way was Jesus disrespecting, disrespecting or dishonoring his mother by disregarding her need to see her son. No, not at all. That's not what the point of this, of what he said was. Rather, Jesus used this situation to draw, draw out his point about the importance of listening while also teaching them another important spiritual lesson. And here's that lesson. A real relationship with him isn't dependent on familial blood ties. Instead, our Lord, our Savior, Jesus Christ, bases it on who actually listens to the word, who actually listens to the word of God, and lives it out. He recognizes as members of his family all who tremble at the word, who receive it with meekness, and who obey it implicitly. implicitly. If that's you, if this describes you, then you can apply that to yourself. What Jesus said here, my mother and my brothers are those who hear and do the word of God. 
you're closer to him than his own actual mo- his own mother and his own half half brothers he sees you he knows you as someone who really loves him and that uh, as closer than those actual family members those who are part of this spiritual family will not be prevented from meeting with him regardless of how big the crowd is if you sincerely believe in him you can come directly to him and spend as much time with him as you'd like whether it's in worship and praise in prayer, in thanksgiving for yourself or on behalf of others, you can come directly to him and just 24 hours a day, seven days a week, and just spend it with him. Now, if you really think about it, as a believer, what Jesus said here ought to be a freeing comment, ought to be a freeing statement Now, why is that? Because nothing in our physical birth or environment determines our relationship to God. Only our response to his word. So, yeah, you may sing or pray or fast all day long. But if you're not hearing his word, if you're not doing it, then you're then you're really not drawing close to God. If you, only if you are, only if you're um, hearing his word, then you're really drawing close to God. Now let me summarize the passage by saying this. Church, ladies and gentlemen, brothers and sisters in Christ, as his disciples, we must take heed of what we hear how we hear, and what we do with what we hear. It's going to take a commitment. And like I said in the beginning, commitment cannot take place without recognizing the potential for difficulty. If you truly desire change, if you truly desire growth and a closer intimacy with God, you must be willing to commit yourself to listening and obeying what he has to say, what he says here in his word. Not just pick and choose the things you like, but everything that he says, you have to commit yourself to it. Now, I'll be honest with you. It's not going to be easy. There's going to be a lot of challenge out there. There's going to be a lot of things out there that will make you want to break that commitment. A lot of temptations, a lot of trials. And those of us that have committed to anything, whether it's a marriage, whether it's, um, whether it's going to the gym, or whether it's a diet, or, or anything you committed, you say, or saving money, or, and you commit it to that, you know that it's not going to be easy. There are going to be times where it's going to be challenging. Well, it's no different when you make a commitment to listening and obeying to God's word. 
there are also going to be challenges there. However, here's the thing. If you remain focused and if you seek the Lord in every single one of those situations, when you feel like giving up and saying, you know what, this is too hard, this is too difficult, I'm trying my hardest and, and I'm just, I keep messing up or it's just too, first of all, stop doing it on your own. If you're the one who's trying to do it, then you're already doing it wrong. You have to seek the Lord. You have to ask him for the strength. He's the one that empowers you. He's the one that enables you. He's the one that will fill you with his, with his spirit. You just have to say, yes, Lord, I'm committed to this, but I need your help. But again, if you stay focused, when you feel like giving up, and you, those of you, again, who, who have made commitments, you'll discover that the rewards will outweigh the challenges, whether it's temporal blessings, whether it's blessings, short blessings now, whether it's the reward, the eternal reward of, of eternity, the reward of being with the Lord forever. That, those things will always outweigh the challenges. When you commit to hearing and obeying the Lord, he will begin to soften your heart and turn it into good soil. The kind of soil that will hear the word with an honest and good heart, hold on to it, and by enduring, produce good fruit. That's an important word there, enduring. You're going to have to endure, and it's going to take time. You endure, and it's going to produce fruit. And when you commit to hearing and obeying him, your light will shine in every dark place that he puts you in. And it's in those dark places that God will use you to sow the seed of his word within the hearts of others who are also ready to receive it. Remember again, at one time you were in darkness and you heard the message, whether it's from a preaching, whether it was from a teaching, whether it was from a friend, a message you heard on the radio or on TV. You were in darkness, you heard the message and you came to know him. Whatever dark place he has you in, he wants you to sow the seed so that others will come to know him. Others who are ready to receive that word will come to know him. So now my question to you all is this. What type of soil describes your heart when you hear the gospel message? If you've heard the gospel message or even if you've never heard it before, What soil describes your heart when you hear the gospel message? Is your heart like the hard path that's unable to receive it? Is your heart like the rocky places? You'll hear the gospel and receive it and believe it, but that joy, that excitement quickly dies because there's no root beneath the surface. 
is your heart like the thorny ground that will hear the truth of the gospel and live it out for a bit. But when life gets too hard or when it gets too good, that message gets choked out. Or is your heart like the good ground that will hear the good news of Jesus Christ, hold on to it, and by enduring, produce fruit? Think about it. What kind of heart do you have? Maybe you've heard the gospel message your entire life since you were a kid, but you've never really received it. Your heart's never been fertile to receive it. Well, maybe it is now. But if you don't know, if you never really thought about it, if you're not sure what kind of heart you have, then let me do this. Let me sow the seed. Let me throw the seed out there. And then once I throw it out there, how you receive it or how you eventually, you know, how eventually it's sown will, will tell you what kind of heart you have. And this is the gospel message. Jesus Christ came to forgive you your sins. Everyone has sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Everyone has messed up. If you've stolen a pen, you've told the white lie, you've committed murder, you've sinned. You've all guilty and you all, we all deserve punishment for our sins. But Jesus Christ came. God sent his son to teach us, to tell us more, to help us gain a deeper understanding of God's love and who he is. And he lived for about three years. And after that, he was betrayed. He was arrested. He was tortured. He was mocked, spat upon. Isaiah tells us That well it tells us a lot more. I mean, uh, his beard was pulled out, but that's what happened to him. And when they finally took him to Calvary, they put nails on his hands and on his feet, and he hung there on the cross for you, all for you to forgive you your sins. On him was placed the sins of the world. That includes yours. If you believe in him, if you trust in him, if you confess his name, the Bible says that you're saved. Your sins will be forgiven. And you will be saved. And after he died, 
Three days later, he rose from the grave. And shortly after that, he ascended up to heaven. Now, I, that's the gospel in a nutshell. Um, I've read in the Bible shorter two verses of, uh, of what the gospel is, but that's what the Lord put in my heart to, to share. Now, what will you do with that truth? What will you do with that message? How will your heart receive it? Will you ignore it or will you accept it? Will you receive it or ignore it? If you're ready and your heart is soft and you want to receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior, I want to lead you in a prayer to do that. If you sincerely want the Lord to come and into your heart and forgive you of your sins and you want change and you want him to change your life allow him open the door to your heart and allow him in and if you want to do that just pray this prayer with all sincerity with all your heart pray this Lord I confess my sins to you I'm sorry. Forgive me of my sins. I believe you, God, I believe you sent your son to die on the cross for my sins. And I confess him as my Lord and Savior. I lay my sins on the cross now, Lord. Fill me now with your spirit, Lord. Make me, Lord, born again. Thank you for what you've done. Thank you for sending Jesus. Help me to walk with you. Give me the strength I need, Lord, to be able just to to know you more, to believe in you more, Lord. Thank you again for what you've done. Thank you for forgiving me of my sins. Pray this in Jesus' name.